All right, we'll go ahead and get started. I think uh, that clock's a couple minutes behind. We'll just, we'll get rolling. And uh, as people trickle in, that'll be great. Today we're covering the years 600 to 1,000. So there's 400 years right there, which is a, a lot to cover. But um, there, there isn't as much written in this time period as some others. And there's some reasons for that. Uh, I think there's some pretty interesting things in this in the section today, we're going to jump around a little bit, but kind of, kind of a, a basic idea. We're going to cover evangelism and maybe some tension between mass evangelism and individual evangelism. And for every single one of us, we think, well, the norm is I go and I tell Mark McGinnis about Christ and the, the, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit works in his heart and he comes to Christ Individual evangelism is all that we know, but uh, that was not the case in the time period we're going to be looking at. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at kind of the, the yucky mishmash of church and state at this time and just some of the stuff that happened as a result of that. We're going to spend some time with uh, Islam. I think it's good for us to understand the historical aspects of that as well as, hey, Today, you might have Muslim neighbors, and I'm sure you did not 40 years ago. So there's some differences. There's some things to talk about there. Might get into a little bit of the Eastern Church and ask Dwayne some questions about that. He's already told me he's not going to answer, but he'll answer for us. Uh, so I'll, I'll open us in prayer, and then we'll dig in. Lord, your, your goodness is abundant, and it is a privilege to be with this group of people uh, Lord, as believers, we're needy people. We fall short of you continually, but we are seen by you through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are so thankful for that. Lord, thank you for the things that we can learn from history. And sometimes we learn from bad examples, and sometimes we learn from good examples. Um, Lord, help us to be humble and to recognize in our day there's things that people will look back at and say, why did the Christian church go along with that? Lord, will you open our eyes to areas in our, in our lives that are falling short of what you and your word guide us in? And um, may we learn from those who have failed in the past. May you be glorified in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. So picture living in a time where there's no official banking system, there's no um, formal education system. Uh, weights and measures are kind of whatever you want them to be. Um, probably not a formal standing army as we would think of it today. There's no regular government, um, no universal coins, no police force, few people read. Picture living like that. So um, the most Libertarian in here would say that a lot of that sounds really good. Nobody's telling me what to do. Jason Houston over there has a big smile on his face. A lot of that sounds pretty good. Uh, but a lot of that could be kind of scary as well. So what would be a little bit, what would be some good and bad of the lack of organization that we might be used to today? What is, what's some bad and what might be some good of that? 
Anything stick out to you in your mind? What's something, Jason, that you would appreciate about any, any one of those things? Even just pick one, something small. Live free or die. Okay, <laughs> live, live free or die. Um, having the freedom to make decisions is, is a, a very Western way of thinking. Um, and, and something that, that uh, you know, when I go to places and I hear, you know, there's, there's you know, they're going to emissions test my vehicle, I think. Who, who can tell me to emissions test my vehicle? Or they're going to check the, we lived in Pennsylvania, they checked the tread on your tires to make sure they had enough tread before you'd pass your yearly inspection. And like, who can these people tell me this stuff? But if you lived in the time period that we're looking at today, 600 to 1,000, we would miss some of the organization that we have. When I go to the store and I buy a dozen eggs, I'm not shocked when I come home with 12. I actually don't really shop, so I can't really say that. But <laughs> let's say Natalie shopped and brought like I really expect a pound weighs a pound. And, and if someone shorts you, if, someone, if, if you got eggs and there was only eight in there, you, you would, how, how can this be? We're, we are so used to normative things and weights and measures and a bank. And this was just not the case at that time. And, and, um, and then you, you add to that um, ignorance among much of the clergy. And some of it was, was real ignorance. And some of it was a complete lack of desire to follow God, uh, a lack of understanding of God's holiness. It was a sham. So for many, if you were the oldest son, you're going to inherit your father's estate. And the second son, what do we do with him? Well, let's send him in to be with the clergy. And so, and, and, it, and it continues to rise. It's, it's, you, you see some of the good of Gregory the Great and some weakness as well. And you see some of the, the popes in succeeding years, church leadership in succeeding years. Um, and there's a reason that it was so problematic, but it's getting somewhat uglier and uglier and uglier, um, kind of taking us to the point where uh, in the church, this would be St. John's in Rome, and it's been remodeled since, since the inception, but um, it, it got to the point where for many clergy, they couldn't read or at least not read well, and certainly their people couldn't read, and so we're going to have a beautiful church building that everyone's going to scrape their coffers financially to put this thing together. So people might be hungry, people might not have enough to survive, but we're gonna have a beautiful building. And really for, for many, and this isn't always the case, but for many, your education would be looking at, at stained glass windows and you're seeing pictures. That would be how you would kind of learn about the Bible. So the whatever clergy would be in charge, different sizes of churches, um, really a broken thing. So even our idea of opening up the Word of God, uh, I went and spoke at a um, men's breakfast uh, yesterday morning, and I prepared a Bible study. They said, you know, do a 20 to 30 minute Bible study. And uh, I went there and, and there was three people with Bible. There's 25 guys in there, and I had a Bible, and the pastor had a Bible, and one other guy bought a Bible. Well, I had an interactive Bible study because I'm used to, we all get our Bibles out, and what does it say right here? Let's, let's dig in. And thankfully, under the direction of Pastor Ted and continuing with so many, like, like the Word of God is used in this church, and in churches all over, 
But even in our day today, that's not always the case. And so it was so interesting to me while doing this Sunday school study, I'm, I'm speaking to this group using my Bible and um, they didn't mind if I told some stories, but when I was digging, we were trying to dig deeply into the Bible, many in that group were like, oh. Now there were some definite believers in that group that they wanted to hear from the Word of God, but it reminded me we're not that different oftentimes in our day to day than they were at this time. And though we invoke the name of Christ, are we really following Him? So we have opportunities for the Word of God um, they did as well. So you've got beautiful buildings. Certainly this is in Rome. This would not be universal, but there is a lot of amazing cathedrals at this time. Um, you've got the, the, the rise of feudalism. So if there's not these central governments as we think of today, and it'd be like warlords here and this group here. And so the feudal system, there might be some kind of king or queen at the top. And then there's lords underneath that. And you've got knights and stuff under that. And then you have just the peasants that are just trying to make it through the day and feed their family. But you need the protection of that castle or, or whatever the higher power is in your area. And so this feudal system of powerful little groups and power goes up and power goes down and people die and people move around. Um, you've got these different groups here. So this is roughly in the years we're looking at. I, I told Natalie I'd bring up some of my, my uh, Viking relatives here. The uh, my Norwegian relatives were wrecking havoc over Europe at this time. Um, which now, if you meet Norwegians, they're pretty easygoing people. But at this time, they weren't. Um, you, know, you can do some reading there that's pretty, pretty incredible. Um, Magyars are basically Hungarians. Um, it's, it's so interesting when you read and look at different maps of just different groups of people attacking and attacking and attacking. And, and then, oh, this group over here, and you're going to see kind of at the bottom, you go into look at, if you look at Spain there in the corner, um, and, and we'll look at Islam a little bit, you know, these groups coming up from the south and from the east. And uh, I think one thing that history teaches us, we think, oh, we've, we've reached an enlightened time, so we will never again, or we probably won't ever again deal with this problem or this problem or this problem. And that's, you know, at, at this time you think, well, if we could, if we could get rid of those Vikings being a problem, then, then things will really calm down. But the next group comes and the next group comes. And in our enlightenment, we think, oh, well, well wars have ceased. Well, the, the Ukraine and, and Russia thing, that will continue and continue and continue until the return of Christ. And people can be smart and can be... Uh, can, can weigh things and say, yep, wars, war is the answer. And it happens over and over and over. And if you, if you talked with your average Russian, I would guess a majority, so that'd be more than 50%, would identify as Christian and would see what they're doing as completely righteous. I think they really do think as Eastern Christians that they are freeing a group of people that wants to be with them. I, I think I would, I would have little doubt if you talk with your average Russian there. And we can look at it from our perspective and say, what in the world? But wars don't go away because people get more educated. Wars don't go away because the humans are progressing so well. And, and I think we'll see that even today. Um, but I, but I, I wrote this, even in this darkness, there's light. Even at this time, and you think of wars and wars and wars and ignorance around much of the clergy, but, but there, were, there were 
shafts of light in that, you know, maybe a, a parent quietly providing for a family, quietly teaching their child. Um, there certainly were pastors and other believers that were influencing others for Christ. And you say, well, where's all the paperwork on it? Well, they, they weren't writing books. And so if, if you look, let's say 200 years from now, so we're going a lot more than that, but if you look 200 years from now, how much of a footprint would heritage have? Well, there'd be some footprint because some books have been written. Um, you know, Pastor Ted is published. Mark's got several articles. And so, so let's say someone could look back and say, hey, here's, so this church was here and okay, they had, they had this guy and this guy and certainly, you know, Pastor Sam and others that have, that have been here before. And, and um, they would say, okay, and whoa, they spoke biblical truth. Okay, but do they... Do they know of, of Corinth Baptist in McQuady? 200 years from now, probably, no one will have heard of Corinth Baptist in McQuady. It's a church of 175 people, really godly pastors, do things really, really well, but they're not published and probably aren't looking to be published. And so those kind of people just, they're never going to be seen down the road, but they are faithfully influencing their area. I mean, Hardensburg and the tiny little town of McQuady. And so, so that would be similar at this time. There were believers living, but we don't have a lot of paperwork for them, if that's, if that's a fair way to say it. Um, if, if we could back up, and this is a little bit before our time, but this is, uh, this is the Frankish leader Clovis. Um, I always like kind of looking through Google images and yanking the pictures out. I assume if you've ever prepared some stuff, it's kind of fun because you see just different things. If you're a French reader, you can read this, but his uh, wife, Clotilde, or Clotilde um, was a believer. She's even differentiated in history that she was not an Aryan, which many of the people around her were, her family was, but she was not an Aryan, does not believe in the deity of Christ. We, we looked at that, I think, two weeks ago. So she definitely believed in the Trinity. She was a believer, and he was a pagan. He is the... Uh, he. France is, he started what we know of as France today. Um, I'm not going to read any of this for you because I can't. Um, but he kind of gets our, the ball rolling a little bit for us on evangelism and, and church and state. So um, he's a pagan. Uh, he's in battle. He'd had fights with his wife. She wanted to baptize their children. He did not. She secretly baptized one and died, I think. She baptized a second one, and that one almost died and then didn't die. Um, I think there's a few different versions of that story. Basically, these people are in battle and warring all the time. He goes into battle. Things are looking really, really bad. What are we going to do? We're going to get wiped out. He prays, and the tide turns in the battle, and he says, I'm going I'm to follow Jesus now. So he um, then gets baptized, and a uh, little, little carving right there. He gets baptized. Um, he pushed his soldiers. He said, hey, you soldiers, you need, to, you need to follow this Jesus as well. He had 3,000 converted in one day and were baptized in one day. And uh, there is a little bit of a historical record that they weren't sure about a lot of the Bible because they had some little snippets of it, but they found a little section with Peter lopping off, uh, trying to defend Jesus. And these guys were like, we like this Peter, dude. We think, we think this might be the way to go. And uh, yeah, so they converted. 
And I, I hope there's, we have examples in scripture of huge amounts of people coming to Christ in a day and that being true conversions. Um, we would argue at Pentecost and around that time, you've got Jewish history. They've grown up in Judaism. We're looking for a Messiah. We, we know the Old Testament so well. And oh, and the Messiah is here. Does he look quite what we thought he would be? Did we think he would be coming in more power? Yes, yes, yes. But that's going to aid conversion in huge ways. These are pagans that don't know anything, anything, anything about, about Christ at all. So these are these numbers give me some pause. I don't know if you've if you've shared Christ with someone and they grew up in church and maybe they prayed a prayer when they were a kid and they didn't really know what they were talking about, and you're sharing Christ with a coworker and and they're growing in their understanding, they at least have some history of they were in church here and they heard this from their grandma and they heard but if you so so when when you say here is Jesus, repent and turn to him in faith, and he, he's the only answer. They have some foundation to them. Now, so much of it might be wrong, but they have some foundation. If you go to a, a complete pagan or someone who is a, an ardent follower of another religion, I know when, when I shared about Jesus with a Muslim who had never heard about Jesus before, but he had some preconceived notions. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It was like just zero context. I mean, and I wasn't trying to, you know, hey, I'm going to get you to pray right now. No, no, no. I just wanted him the basics. This is what the Bible tells us about Jesus. This is my trust of Jesus. And this guy was, and, and it was short, and he quickly was like, oh, we're not going to talk about this anymore. But if you've ever shared with someone like that how, how little they know, it's, it's going to take some time. So we have these huge numbers of people converting, if you will. Uh, Boniface is a... Um, actually, I might have missed that one. Let me try one more. Nope, we're going into relics there. Uh, we'll just leave it right there. Uh, Boniface was in the, in, the year, in the 700s. He was British. Um, I think his real name was Winfred or something like that. Uh, Boniface goes and he becomes a missionary to what we now know as the Netherlands. And he moves south into kind of what's modern Germany. Uh, kind of the famous story, there's a bunch of pagans. They're all worshiping around this humongous tree, the biggest tree that anywhere around. And Boniface was a man of action. And he just snagged an uh, axe from somebody and starts whacking away at this tree. Some people say it was one smack. Some people say it was multiple. The tree falls down and splits into four pieces. Some people would say it's split into three pieces representing the Trinity, but most people would recognize it as probably into four pieces. The thing was completely rotten inside. Well, everybody worshipped, like they worshipped the tree, connected to fertility, connected to their children, connected to... So Boniface probably was going to be killed. You would think that'd be the norm, but he wasn't. Instantly, hundreds if not thousands is connected to the time of Christmas, um, converted at that time. Um, Boniface was a an aggressive person getting people to uh, convert. Uh, eventually, Boniface later in life, I forget what this circumstance was, but he, he ended up being killed by a, a group of outsiders and is, is um, known as a martyr. Um, we go a little farther forward. I think we could use this map. We go to uh, Charles of France or, or Charles the Great, 
Charlemagne, as we probably know him in history, and he controlled this the kind of the tannish area there, and he had uh, control over some other some other areas as as well. Kind of they had to give tribute to him. Um, he was the first one known as the Holy Roman Emperor. Um, he was baptized. He converted. He was baptized. His father uh, converted and was baptized. And then he did a lot of forced conversions. Charlemagne's known for really good stuff too. He he pushed education. He pushed educating the the clergy. He pushed um, some literacy things. I mean, he he did a lot of good things. He he gave finances to things that were good for for cultures to thrive. But he did forced conversions as well. He had one where he he fought with a group of people, and I think it was Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. And he said, you know, you will all convert. And a bunch of them converted. And like 4,500 of them would not convert. And so he chopped off all their heads. 4,500 people dead. Then he went home and they celebrated Christmas with his troops. Well, you, you keep having that. Yeah, there's a, there's a little conversion story for you. You keep having that. We're understanding what does the Christianity look like for those that didn't get their head chopped off? I mean, if I said convert or I'm going to chop off your head, and you guys are like, well, I mean, I think I'll convert, and I chop off everybody's head on this side. You guys are like, yeah, I think this sounds like a good decision. I think I'm going to go with this, you know? And if you're, if you're from a pagan background, which Europe was at that time, uh, from your pagan background, you're saying, I believe in tons of gods. Surely there's another one. And yeah, I'll believe in, yeah, this God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you know, that's polytheism as well to, to many of their thinking. Um, and then, so if, if you read historians, we would hear that and we would say, ah, we, we shouldn't be having this. But there's more historians than you would think that would say, hey, one of the benefits of mass conversion is everybody stays with their people group, their friend group. So um, JP and AW in their context. They, they share Christ with someone, and that person is saying, if I identify with Christ, it's illegal for me to convert in this country. Now, a foreigner can come in as a Christian to be fine, but it's illegal for me to convert. So I technically could be jailed and or killed, and then what is my family going to do to me? So this is, these are big things, and if they do convert, what is their friend group? They go back with their family and say, hey, everybody, I love you. I'm a Christian. They, they can't go to holidays. You know, in these cultures, the, the culture and the religion are, are absolutely together. You can't go to a holiday. with You can't go to New Year's without it being a, a worship and a family thing. And so the count the cost is a really big deal. And we're, we're used to, thankfully, we're used to that thinking. There are a lot of historians say mass conversion is the way to go. You have to convert. Okay, now you can stay with your people group and everything's okay. And then you can just learn over time what the stuff you need to know. Well, how broken is that? And there's a reason that it made people, you know, going from this and then going to that and really made a, a mishmash of, of religion. And so if we go into the, if, from evangelism into the church and state, you can see how that would affect the church and state together. Um, Pepin, who'd be, I think, Charlemagne's father, uh, about 50 years before Charlemagne, uh, 
the Pope basically recognizes Pepin as, as, as a ruler. You can rule your Frankish kingdom and exchange. Pepin says, okay, well, I'll give you the papal states. You can have about a third or a half of, of Italy. That's, that's yours now. Oh, okay, good. Well, I like what you did for me and what you did, you know, and, and the people are there having no say in it. So some, some, some yuckiness with church and state right there. Um, Empress Irene is ruling in the Eastern Empire at this time. Um, Pope Leo isn't going to listen to a woman because there's some culture with that. Gives even more power to Pepin and then later on to Charlemagne. Um, Charlemagne starts, since I'm the Holy Roman Emperor, then I get to decide who the clergy are. And so at a at a really small level, and he didn't do it at this kind of level, but he would say, hey, I'm going to appoint the Bishop of Kentucky, and then that guy can say who's the, the pastor of Heritage Baptist Church. Well, what does that look like over time? So that would be the President of the United States saying, I'm, gonna, I'm going to decide who is going to be these religious authorities. I mean, you talk about tension and what's going on and how does this all fit and, and how could this even be? Um, so talk with me a little bit. I'd like, I'd like some of your thoughts on this. Separation of church and state is a topic that we, get, that we throw around pretty often here. How do we think of that? If you were talking to someone at this time, how would you explain what that should look like? Or what do you look for? If, if someone says to you, we should have separation of church and state, what do you say, Jim? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. 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 Uh, one of the things. So, just for those that couldn't hear, the when the when the state is paying the clergy, a whole lot of yuckiness happens. Is that is that fair to say? Absolutely. And and yes. Well, God's created a certain spheres of authority. Mm -hmm. The family, the state, and the church. And so they all from God. The state is not evil. Sin has made infected it like everything else, but uh, it's an institution that God created for the good of mankind. Right. But when they over when they begin to infringe on each other's authority. It's when you get into trouble. Right. Government telling the family what to do, the church telling the state what to do. Right. In the past. Right. Yeah, spheres, spheres of influence and spheres of authority. Very, very, very important. And, and you know, one of the things with, with the church and state issue is that the state is not to tell the church what to do, but yet the church is, in a sense, to tell the state what to do in that we are part of it. We are part of the group so we can vote and we can speak out. And that's a very, very important thing, something that was probably not allowed at this time. And you even fast forward from this time, you know, how did it work in World War II, just as an example, 
when Hitler said, hey, I'm going to kind of change up scriptures and I'm going to, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And when your paycheck is given by someone else, by the state, it's a lot easier to keep people in your pocket. And, and that can be in, in, a, in a, a variety of, of things happen with that. Pardon me? And to force morality. And to force morality, sure. Sure, sure. And right along with that, if the, if the church doesn't speak into what the state does, that's broken as well. I remember, and this was probably 15 years ago, when I read um, Jimmy Carter's, I don't know if it was a biography or an autobiography. I think it was an autobiography. But um, I had a relative that was a huge fan and asked if I would read it. So I read it. And you know, he identifies as a believer over and over and over. But I remember a phrase that he has in, that, in, in his book. He said, I, I promised and I kept to it that I would not let my Christianity influence my decisions as a president. Well, how, if anybody is a Christian and you don't let Christianity influence how you live, what kind of Christianity is that? And so, so that is definitely something to be thinking about. Um, downward trend of popes at this time, um, really got into relics. There's a hand. Uh, just if, for fun sometime, you f- feel free to look up relics uh, online. You can see all kinds of pictures or, or details of things. There's some gross stuff out there. Um, Calvin said during the Reformation, there's enough uh, chunks of the uh, cross to build a boat. And... Uh, <laughs> There's probably is true. There's, uh, I think John Chrysostom or John of the Golden Mouth, I think there's, his head or his skull is in four different churches worldwide, I think. And uh, other, and the stuff they would cut off people is, is, uh, is worthy of another topic, another time. Um, some monasteries tried to tighten things up. Uh, Benedict kind of came out with a rule where he was saying, you know, there's a lot of, excesses. There was a pope that was crowned that made a toast or a prayer to Satan during it. Um, There's just a lot of ugliness. A a few tried to tighten things up. Um, There was um, officially some groups tried to get rid of simony, which is kind of the buying of benefits. So it's connected to indulgences, but simony would be connected to any kind of benefit. So eternal benefit, uh, buying of an office, buying a get-out-of-jail-free card for sin. Um, some groups try to, t- try to tighten that up and say that's not allowed. Some continued right along as well. Um, so that's, that's kind of a little bit of the picture where they are at that time. So let's move, excuse me, now into, into Islam. Um, this is a picture of uh, Muhammad and his friends and co-workers, and he's meeting... I forget which one's the horse, which, who is who, but it's Abraham, Ishmael, and Lot. I think Lot is the horse guy being ridden. But anyway, there's a, there's a picture of Muhammad. So 570, Muhammad is born. Um, he's, he's in uh, Arabia, born in Mecca. Uh, there is ugly and mishmashed Christianity heresies, Judaism all around him. So if you talk with a Muslim today and you say, what is the Trinity? Your average Muslim will say, Father, Son, and Mary. 
typically what they will say, just because they saw so many people venerating, worshiping Mary, that they think that's in place of the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, in, in 622, he's being persecuted. He runs to uh, an oasis that would become Medina. Uh, I think I have a map. The map, okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of in the, it's down here in the section there. He kind of runs up to what would become Medina. It was just an oasis at that time. Um, Muslims count, that's like year zero. They count time from them. Uh, by 632, most of Arabia is, is under Islamic control. You see there in the, in the tan goes up to 661. And then um, up to 750, we go into the purple and all the arrows are their military campaigns. Virtually unbelievable how quickly that moved. But such a huge reason for that is Christianity was so bad. If, if you know, Justin Hout came up here and made us all become Christians or else he would kill us. And then, you know, John Hogue comes in here and says, you all have to be Muslims or I'll kill you. I mean, people are just converting back and forth. They don't even know what they believe, really. They, for many people, they just want to raise their families and live. At the same time, a lot of people were killed as well. Um, you look at that, how that, that moves into the purple, how quickly they just crossed Gibraltar there and were then into Spain. Um, 732, Charles Martel, the hammer, he stops him at Tours. Without that, I mean, there, once you cross the Pyrenees there, I mean... You could loop around in a circle, uh, pretty amazing. I also think if you, if you look here, uh, Dwayne talked about this, but the main churches at that time were in Rome, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, Alexandria. Um, well, look what happened to those. I mean, they were getting taken over. Pretty, pretty in incredible time. Um, Islam means submission. Muslims are those who submit to Allah. Uh, they consider themselves people of the book. Um, yeah, heretics. I think I already talked about that. Ignorant Christianity. And, and I would argue again, huge amount of people leaving, we're going to do quote-unquote Christianity for another religion, and again, much of it was forced. Islam does say, I am allowed to lie to you if I can get you to convert. Uh, they are allowed to say, uh, I can kill people that don't believe as they ought. And you can have all kinds of imams saying, well, this, this actually means this, this actually means that, but it, it really does say it. Or people will say, well, I've never read that before um, if, you, if you talk to Muslims. Or they might say, if you talk to Muslims, if you talk to Muslims, that, that we would talk to in Owensboro, they would say, no, 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 you know, jihad is bad. And I think many, many Muslims do believe it's bad, um, but obviously many do not. Um, but if, if you look at um, Latter-day Saints, Mormons aren't big in this area, um, but out West they are. And if you, if you talk with them and read their stuff, their favorite group to evangelize are Christians. Christians that are ignorant. So I can go to you, you don't know what you're talking about. And uh, hey, do you wanna know a better way? We've got a little more revelation. I, I like everything you're telling me. And I'm gonna add a little bit to it, which is actually quite a lot. 
And, and Mormons as well, and I, I have, I've had good Mormon friends in my life, they will flat out lie to you if you say, well, since Mormon theology says this, what? I, I, huh, I don't know about that. I had a guy that was a leader in the Mormon church in his local, he knew, but part of their apologetic way is to just plead ignorance and, and jump onto something else. Very, very, that's how they do it. Now, some people surely are ignorant about what they, about what they believe. Um, but um, there's some similarities. So we need to be people of the book. So, so uh, Muslims would say they respect people of the book. So if you're a person of the book and, and you're a monotheist, that would be uh, Christians and Jews. So technically, Muhammad wasn't as against Christians and Jews as he was against pagans and polytheists. Polytheists, many of them he would just kill, and he and his followers just killed. Uh, most areas they went into, they gave some freedoms to Christians. Sometimes they had to wear, they had to be marked, wear a cross around their neck. They had some limited freedom. But there's actually some writing of those in the Eastern Church, Eastern Orthodox Christians, not listening to Rome, but Rome couldn't do anything about it because they're actually under Muslim control at the time. So there's some, there's, our minds like to put things in really nice boxes like you're a this and you're a this and you're a this, but there's some, there's some, some ebb and flow to some of that as well. Um, evangelizing uh, uh, Muslims today, we've, we've had people that have told us, hey, you shouldn't, you know, don't even let them know that you're a Christian, uh, just be their friend for the first years and things like that. I, I disagree with that. So I happily tell people I love Jesus, I'm a Christian. Um, if I first meet someone, I'll generally say, they'll ask what I do for a living, I'll say I'm a teacher. They don't really have a concept of a pastor. And if you tell them you're an imam, it's a little weird. So uh, we don't do that. Um, I think if you are kind to them, very hospitable, and if you really love Jesus, let them know you really love Jesus. Too often in Christianity, we can be like, well, here's the system of Christianity. People aren't attracted to the system of Christianity. People need to be confronted with who Jesus is. And, and know this, um, Islam is a religion of works, 100% a religion of works. So you will find, I haven't yet, gotten close enough to people in Owensboro to find. But you will find over time, and I'm going to find over time, because AW and JP have, and others we've talked with, those that say, I can't do enough. I can't do enough. But one did do enough, Jesus. So be prepared, because Islam is not going away in America. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> on, on, on Islam, Islam, though in history you said that, that they had a lot of commons with Christians and Jews as monotheists, but you can't ask the average Muslim today. They would see a Christian as a heartbeat. Yeah. Sure. But the identity of who Jesus 
was where the conversations can really Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, because the Muslims that I interact here, they they like Jesus. Muhammad. Yeah, he's a great one. Not as good as Muhammad. But maybe the second to Muhammad. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good, Vic. Really good. Um Culture, I would say this too with, with Muslims, culture is very entwined with their religious system. And so at when I go to Christmas with my extended family, I've got various religions and, you know, the pot shop owner cousin and the, the pagan over here and the guy who, like, and we all come and have Christmas together and it's fine. That, that is just not the case. You know, and when, when they have Eid, you know, it is, it's religion and culture and family. So, so there are some real challenges. And so when, when we pray for our friends that have lots of opportunities and as, and as we have opportunities, pray for the Holy Spirit to work because not one of us came to Christ because we were so easy and, and we were just, just about there dead in our sins and trespasses, but God. So that's, that's what we need to think. Um, Ramadan starting soon, uh, depending on the calendar, April 1st or April 2nd goes for one month. Celebrate when Allah gave, they say, gave the Quran to Muhammad. Um, and I, I remember reading something, you know, they said like during Ramadan, the, the devil is chained and hell is shut up and heaven is opened. Um, obviously, they don't eat during the day there. Uh, Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, they believe that's where Muhammad was when he went up into the heavens and got a vision and then was sent back down. So that's why they see that as, as holy. And as we said, tours in 732 uh, shut that down. Um, as we move along here, a little bit of, of how it has overtaken uh, much of the world, went all the way across, you know, pretty much the entirety of Eastern Christianity and down into Africa. Uh, <laughs> Natalie and I have found that that those in uh, Owensboro from these areas are much more fervent Muslims than what we have found with Muslims from Afghanistan. Uh, very much so. I think the, the Muslims from Afghanistan, a lot of them are, are more ignorant. It's more of a tribal thing and a cultural thing and much more ignorant about it. And it's like, oh, I'm doing this, but hope no one, hope no one sees. Um, whereas the ones at least that I've met from, from Central Africa are pretty, they're, they're kind and nice. Uh, we have some coming to our house this week, but they are ardent about what they believe. And if you take them out to Cane's and you pray before you eat and say in Jesus' name, amen, they don't like it. But <laughs> you can do it anyway. Uh, a little bit on Eastern Christianity. Um, they do like Cane's. Those people, they love chicken. Um, <laughs> Iconoclasts, um, they, were, they were like the, the smashers, so we shouldn't have the icons. Um, um, uh, what is that, Iconoduels, I think, or Iconophiles. They, they were like known as the kissers. They, they liked it. You know, and we're used to, in our churches, I don't see any you know, statues or, or icons or things on the wall. Uh, when, when I grew up, when my dad became a Christian, we really quickly had this big picture of Jesus that went on our wall is this long-haired guy uh good looking and uh then after a couple years he he disappeared and my parents were super frugal so buying that picture like they didn't buy stuff but they bought that but then they got rid of it really really pretty 
quickly. Um, I have a, a friend I know that really wanted to follow Exodus 20 and not have graven images, and he was given some really valuable uh, cowboy art, like you know, a bucking horse with a guy on it. And he said, you know, I can't have these uh, these graven images and pitched them, and they're actually pretty pretty valuable. Um, but then you 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 stretch that out to what are we worshiping? And so um, uh, the second council of Nicaea that was in the 700s basically said, so what do we do with these? So people are going around here and they're, you know, bashing them up and throwing them out and pitching them around. And I don't know if that's my last one. Uh, okay, I'll go up. Um, they basically said, hey, there's two things. You, you worship God, but you can venerate these. And they basically have two different words for worship, which biblically... That's not a biblical concept of like second string worship or, you know, that's kind of a weird, weird way of thinking kind of to get around it. Um, and there's all kinds of accusations going back and forth about different things. Uh, they would say, hey, so now that Jesus has come in the flesh, it's okay to, to venerate this because it helps me to see him and he's come in the flesh. So I'm not worshiping a graven image. Um, Dwayne, do you want to say anything more connected to that? Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. He's, Dwayne's going to be covering Crusades um, and the East-West split next week. And I would just say as we close, um, if you picture the main churches where they were in the East right here, and so this would be going on concurrently with Islam, would be going at the same time. Um, that split was a really, really big deal. It's in 1054. Dwayne's going to talk about it next time. But who gets to decide who's in charge and who wins in history is a really an interesting thing. And I, I guess I would like to close with this, with this thought. When we've talked about this mishmash of church and state and, and bad evangelism and uh, Islam just taking over like crazy, I want us to, to close with a few verses from Colossians. This is what we need, and this is what they needed when Islam is sweeping through. When you claim to be a Christian, but sent because of mass conversion, you're really a believer, but out of 100 people, maybe 98 other people are not converted. And you go to the same church, and they're influencing your kids, and they don't really know Christ. We need this. They need this. Here is Christ. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You're dismissed.